1995, an epic movie film, Braveheart, was released. This was directed and starring by Mel Gibson. And that film is based on a story of a Scourge leader, William Wallace, who fought for the Scourge independence in the late of 13th century and early 14th centuries. And William Wallace was considered one of the Scotland's, Scotland's greatest national heroes and the main inspiration of the Scourge resistance to the English King Edward I. In the Battle of Falkirk, one of the most important battles against the King of England, there was one important and key person that he promised to support the rebellion of William Wallace. His name was Robert de Bruce, one of the main military, military leaders. But this guy, Robert de Bruce, betrays William Wallace. As a result of his betrayal, Wallace was arrested. In August 23, 1305, Wallace was brought to Westminster Hall, where he was accused and sentenced to death. There was no trial because William Wallace was declared a traitor to the king. The same day he was hanged, disemboiled, and finally beheaded and quartered at Smithfield. His head was placed on London Bridge and his limbs exhibited in the New Castles, Bergwick. In 1306, Bruce, the traitor, he lamented that. He lamented his betrayal of William Wallace and raised a rebellion. In 1314, Robert de Bruce took the reins of the rebellion and fought the English until achieving the independence of Scotland in 1320. Because of that, Robert was crowned as the first king of Scotland. Though he never forgot, he never forgot himself, he never forgot his betrayal at the Battle of Falkirk, and on his death, when he was just laying on bed, he asked that his heart be taken to the crusade, seeking God's forgiveness and his past mistakes. This dramatic story reminds us in the same ways when Jesus was betrayed, when Jesus was imprisoned, and then sentenced to death. And how his arrest and betrayal through one of his disciples contribute to the sentence of death. The big difference is this, that in the story of William Wallace, we saw the liberation, the independence of one nation, Scotland. But the betrayed and arrest of Jesus our king his death 
and resurrection would result in the salvation of the, his people and, and deliverance from sin. So today we have a text that tells us about that. And you read it. You, we, we, you, you heard that. And this text communicates something very clear. It's about Jesus being at rest because he submitted himself to the scripture, to the Father, to his Father's will. And the rest of the king, that's the name of this sermon today, teaches many things, as many things that we can learn from William Wallace and Robert the Bruce. But these arrests, the rest of the king and the betrayal, teaches many things, but I want to highlight three things that I'm thinking to develop today. Jesus' arrest teaches, first, the spiritual condition of mankind. The spiritual condition of mankind. Also, it teaches Jesus' authority and power. And finally, it also teaches Jesus' submission to the scripture. In the light of the text, also, we can highlight something important to learn today. As a Christian, we ought to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, submitting ourselves to the authority of the Scripture. So let's dive in on these elements that I want to highlight this morning about the king's arrest. First, one thing that we learn from the king's arrest is the spiritual condition of mankind. And read with me verse 47 to 50. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and within a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. So we need to continue. This is the continuation of the uh, conversation that Jesus and the disciples, they had that night, Thursday night. This is the last week of his, Jesus' ministry before his death and resurrection. And now he was on the Passover. He was in the Lord's Supper. He was in the high uh, upper room. And then now he's moving toward drinking the cup as he mentioned and we mentioned last week. So after Jesus' prayer, the Lord went back in verse 45 and tells us what is going on. He says in verse 45, Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And the text says that while he was still speaking, then the crowd came to Jesus. And we covered the, the, this last week, as you see. But the text is a continuation. So I want you to put it into the context of what is happening here. And the text mentioned that Jesus arrived, at, well, that, that, that these people arrived, a great crowd. It says large crowd with swords and clubs. 
And Matthew's, as you know, Matthew wants to continue to connect us with the fulfillment of the scripture. We read and, and we learned last week that Zechariah 37 is a prophecy. There is a prophecy that says, that Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. So Matthew's, Matthew let us know that he is clear connecting. And he wants to let, let us know that this crowd was armed. They have swords. But the question is, who was this large crowd? Well, we don't know until we read the other text. The parallel text in John tells us that this large crowd was mainly a band in, in John 18, a band of Romans, of soldiers. Also officers from the chief and priests and the Pharisees. So John described very clear who are this crowd. But I don't know if you know that a Roman cohort is a tenth of a legion. It's a tenth of a legion Roman soldiers. So a legion is 6,000 Roman soldiers. So when he says that a band of soldiers came, he refers to this cohort that is, in its maximum expression, 600 Roman soldiers that came toward Jesus, plus the religious leaders and Pharisees. So we have, in the Sanhedrin, we have 70 people. So we may be having like around 700 people coming to arrest Jesus. But what, what can we highlight from them? From the, what, is, what, what, what can we learn from this crowd, the behavior of the people that came to arrest the Lord? Well, you, you, you have the, the Romans, the ignorance of the Roman crowd, they were simply following orders. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't have an idea what Jesus was doing among the Jewish people. They just followed orders. They were following the crowd. Actually, that was the reason why Judas has to kiss Jesus. So they may know that they are just arresting the right person. They were concerned more about their jobs, their benefits. They didn't have an idea that they were arresting the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, that Jesus was walking among them. And actually, in the next chapter in Matthew 27, you will notice that one of the centurions in the cross, when Jesus was in the cross, what he said, truly this is, he was the, the son of man. They didn't have an idea. So they were living in the ignorance of knowing who Jesus was. But also, the spiritual condition of the mankind is expressed by the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. If you read in the text, it says that they came with Judah as one, but they had and Paul, opportunity to arrest him at the temple. But they, their hypocrisy became more evident in their arrest, judgment, and execution of Jesus Christ. His arrest was completely against Jewish law. So pay attention to this. These people that they sell themselves as the reference, as the reference of morality, they were violating the Jewish and Roman law in order to judge a righteous man. 
hypocrites. They broke the Israelites' laws as well as the Roman laws one by one. A legal hearing at night was illegal. It was also illegal to rush the hearing with no previous warning nor opportunity for the defendant to prepare for hearing or to look for witnesses to testify on Jesus' behalf. It was illegal. Jesus had not opportunity for an appeal. It was illegal. There was no delay between his arrest and the hearing, between the hearing and the verdict, between the verdict and the sentence, nor between the sentence and the execution. And Jesus was arrested, judged, condemned, sentenced to death, and executed in less than 24 hours. It was illegal. So in their hypocrisy, they violated the Jewish law in order to kill Jesus. And that is a double standard. This hypocrisy was also evident by their hostility toward Jesus after, after Jesus' arrest. What else? The crowd and the people that came toward Jesus displayed a spiritual condition expressed, expressed by also Judas' ambition. We know the real motivations of Judah. We know the Bible tells us. We know why Judas betrayed Jesus. We know that he was motivated by his love for money. It says in verse 48 to 50, Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. He was motivated by, love, by, by, by his love of money. He was a follower of Jesus Christ, but he was not a true disciple of Jesus Christ. How do we know it? Because of his fruits. His fruits, who Judas decided to betray Jesus with a kiss, moved by his own greed and guided by Satan. He was a follower of his father, Satan. And actually, John 12, verse 4 to 6, mentioned that you remember when, 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 when the women poured the ointment and anointed Jesus' head, what he said, oh, why well, we don't sell this and give it to the poor. But John tells us that, he tells this, that Judas said this because he was a thief and not because he cared about poor. His sin of ambition led him to betray Jesus. And that's a human kind, spiritual condition of humanity. And if you remember in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 6, in verse 24, Jesus said this, you can't serve two masters. Do you remember that? Why? Because you will hate one and love another. And that was happening here with Judas. Judas loved the money and hate Jesus. This is not the first time that we see Judas calling Jesus rabbi, neither. You remember in the Lord's Supper, in the Lord, in the upper room, when they have celebrating the Passover, when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, and he said, all of the disciples says, hey, do you think it will be me, Lord, Lord, Lord? And, and Judas says, do you think Jesus is me, rabbi? And now look what Jesus, how, how Judas refers to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi. 
Why? Because Judas, Judah only saw Jesus as a teacher but not as a Lord. Judah's story should let us to evaluate our hearts and our fruits. Jesus has said it before, and I want to remind you today, not everyone say, Lord, Lord, will enter to the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does the Father's will. Who are those? Those who have been born again, uh, have been born again through faith in Jesus by grace alone and believe him as a, their Lord and Savior and live to do his Lord's, Lord's will, the Father's will. Brothers and sisters, it's not about coming to the church. It's about living as a church. A friend of mine told me this week something that I said, I'm going to use this. He said, the fact that you sleep in a garage doesn't make you a car. <laughs> Likewise, the fact you come to church doesn't make you a Christian. But Christians come to church. Men's condition, men's condition is revealed in the Lord's arrest by ignorance, hypocrisy, hostility, greed, and love for money. They reveal the condition of mankind. And the current generation is in the same way. A generation that cares more about money than God. And let me tell you, probably some people are here, they care more money uh, about money than God. Well, be careful. What they, what, what they had, in what ways they were similar. The Romans, the religious leaders, and Judas, they had no idea who they were arresting. They had no idea who they were arresting. Well, it turns us to the second thing that the king's arrest revealed. Jesus' authority. That's the second thing that I want to highlight. Jesus' authority. Read with me verse 51 to 53. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ears. His ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. Would you like to guess who cut the high priest's servant's ear? Do you want to take a wild guess? Peter. Matthew doesn't mention his name, but John does. John mentioned it was Peter. Perhaps John wants to make sure that we understand that wasn't him. But Peter, just like many of Jesus' disciples, believed that Jesus was the Messiah that was going to establish the heavenly kingdom with weapons. But it's evident that Peter still needs to know more about the king's authority, about the king and the Messiah. And there's some things that Peter didn't fully understand and have forgotten. First, that Jesus is God. Peter, for some reason, didn't get it. 
Jesus is God. And John, in the parallel text, John tells us that when Judas came and Jesus says, I am he, what happened? All of them, they drew back and fell to the ground. And most of the scholars agree that this I am is the same I am that Jesus, that, that Yahweh mentioned in Exodus to Moses when he was in the Mount of Sinai. Second Peter forgot that Jesus has authority over illness. He has the power to heal. He has authority over the physical world, over the sea. Over the winds, over the illness. And you know, because of John, we know that the name of the servant of the high priest was Marcus. And then after Marcus' ear was cut off, Jesus healed Marcus. Luke mentioned that too. And then he forgot that Jesus had authority over that. Also, quite important, he forgot that the kingdom of heaven would be different from the kingdom of this world. He forgot it. And Jesus had taught them for three years and a half. And he just forgot it. And Jesus said to him, put your sword back into the, its place. For all who take the sword will perish by sword. In other words, in other words, the establishment of the kingdom, the heavenly kingdom and salvation, we haven't would have not been achieved with swords or army, but with Jesus giving his life. Peter, Peter is not in your ways. It is not in the way you think, Peter. It's not in the way this world may think. It's different, Peter. What else? Peter forgot that Jesus had authority over the spiritual realm. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels. A legion, I mentioned, was over 6,000 soldiers. So I can ask my father to send a legion per disciple and more. So we're talking about more than 72,000 angels to destroy this significant army of Roman soldiers. And Peter didn't get it. Peter also didn't get it and forgot that Jesus was there. He was there on his own will. John 10, 17 and 18 in the parallel text also mentioned, for this reason, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I laid it down of my own accord. I have what? Authority, Peter. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And lastly, he had not understood that it was the father's will for Jesus to drink the cup of suffering. John 18, 11, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the chef. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? That's why Peter wanted to take action on his own. 
and tried to impede Jesus' arrest because he was not fully aware of Jesus' power and authority. The same thing, brothers and sisters, happened to us when we do not know fully Jesus Christ and his work. When we don't understand our place in Jesus, what it means to be united to Jesus. We don't understand when we don't understand what he came for, when we don't understand what he achieved for. When we don't understand that, we struggle in life. When we forget who Jesus is and who are we now, we struggle as Peter. And you know what happened? We act like Peter when this happened. We want to, we want to take action. We act like Frank Sinatra. And we try to do things my way. A true disciple of Jesus Christ don't walk in their own way, brothers and sisters. A true disciple of Jesus, of Jesus Christ don't make decisions in his, in his own ways. A true disciple of Jesus Christ submit to the only way we are supposed to follow and to live. And it is God's will. And for his glory. But in order to respond to God's will and the Father's will, we need to know him better and better. Do you know this Jesus we we're talking about? Do you know his authority? Do you know what it means to follow Christ? If you're a Christian, I highly encourage you to continue to study about Jesus, his work, his gospel, about what he did, what he accomplished. Don't think that you graduate of disciple. We never we never graduate of disciple or of disciple of Jesus Christ. You never. You're gonna be a disciple of Jesus Christ till he returns or you die. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to get to know to the one that has authority over all that exists, over creation, over heaven, earth, angels, over your life. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I invite you to know him and continue to know him. You must know that he's Lord, he's God, and he's just, and he's holy, and you are a sinner, and you need to repent, and you only have hope and eternal life if you come to him and surround your life to his lordship. And know by faith that he is the savior of your life. Only that, this Jesus Christ, he went to the cross and he died, and you know that. The tomb couldn't hold him and the death couldn't defeat him. And that's the good news. He will return and he will judge. And he will judge those who are not in Christ with eternal death. So this king's arrest revealed the spiritual condition of mankind, Jesus' authority, but also Jesus' submission to the scripture. I love this. Read with me verse 54 to 56. But how then should the scripture, Jesus replied them. How then should the scripture in this conversation one-on-one with Peter be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour you said to the crowds, 
And then he turned to the crowds. Have you come out against that rover with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you didn't seize me. But all this has taken place that the scripture of the prophets may be fulfilled. And then all the disciples left him and fled. I don't know if you can observe and see and notice the importance and relevance with which Jesus viewed the scripture. Most of his ministry was teaching the scripture. Day after day, I was teaching the scripture. Day after day, what he tells us. How much he valued and highlighted his own words. The God's words. But moreover, because it's not just about teaching the scripture. <laughs> I can spend my life teaching the scripture and not being submitted to the scripture. But Jesus teaches that he not just only taught the scripture day by day, but also he submitted himself to the scripture. He, Jesus honored the scripture by submitting to it. And that's why he has so clear his mission. And he has a clear understanding about Father, the Father's will. And in John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus has been showing his desire to do what the scriptures say since the beginning of his ministry. Do you remember when he was tempted? Satan took him to the desert, and, and he replied him three times. Three times he quoted the scripture. And throughout the ministry, he sat in the temple day by day. And he what? He taught the scripture. And now, look at him. He's just fulfilling the scripture. And when he rose and he uh, found the, 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 the disciples that they didn't understand anything. And, and Jesus said, well, hey, can, can you tell me what, what, what is going on here in Jerusalem? And they said, don't you know, you, are you the only one who... You don't know what is happening, what is going on in Jerusalem? And they said, no, 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 no. Tell, tell me what, what is going on. Oh, Jesus, the prophet. The prophet. And the Bible says that Jesus opened their eyes to understand. And Jesus spent three days doing what? Teaching the scripture. From Genesis to the prophets. Why did Jesus submit it to the scripture? Well, John 1, 14 says that he is the incarnate word. Also, we know that the scripture, he knows that the scripture is God's word. And he trusts and believes in the scripture. He didn't take advantage of his divinity, his divinity to escape from the, from the cup of suffering. No, he was honoring God faithfully, which God had prophesied. Read verse 56. But all this has taken place that the scripture of the prophets made be fulfilled. And then all the disciples left him and fled. When it happened, you know what happened? A prophecy was fulfilled. Zechariah 13, 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. A prophecy was fulfilled just right there. It is clear, brothers and sisters, that Jesus' ministry were teach 
and fulfill and honor and live the scripture. He taught the scripture with authority, but also he submitted to the authority of the scripture. I will say that again. He taught the scripture with authority, but also he submitted to the authority of the scripture. How do we know that? Because he lived according to the scripture. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, every human being either are submitted to his own word and will or to the Father's word and will. Think about that. If you are not submitted to the Father's will through his word, then you are submitted, you are surrendered to your own will and your own words. The question is, what do we are going to do? What do you, we, how much do we value God's word? I know that sometimes people get bored because we read the scripture so many times in a service. And I want to repeat that. The problem is not the scripture. The problem is your heart. Because you see that the scripture is an obstacle. It is not. It's the living word. And God himself, Jesus himself says in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth, what? Will pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God wants, brothers and sisters, and I'm just wrapping up. God wants us to have a deep understanding of his word. To get in the surface. And don't be afraid to get deeper and deeper. Don't get in the surface. Study God, God's word. Why? Because if you know God's word, you will know God better. If you know God better, you know his will better. If you know his will better, then you obey better. If you obey better, you will please him. Better. Not fully and perfectly. We are not perfect. Just Jesus Christ did it. But you will strive to honor his word. Honor his word. Doing what? Living according to his will. Do you want to display a faithful surrender to his lordship? Submit yourself to God's word. So in Jesus we have an example of not just knowing the Lord, God's word, no, teaching God's word, but also submitting himself to God's word. Jesus shown his submission to God's word. Now we can show our submission to his lordship, submitting ourselves to his word. And as a church, First Irving, we are truly committed to make disciples. And I want to encourage you. Take advantage of any initiative that we have to learn and to learn more about God. Do not be a follower of Jesus Christ, just a Sunday follower, a Sunday Christian. If you are visiting us today, the question for you is, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you noticed that you are a sinner? Have you noticed, because you don't know this God, you are not obeying his God, his will. If you have not submitted to God and his word, then 
what have you surrendered to? If you are visiting today, I want to encourage, highly call you to repent so you may know this God. And if you need assistance, you can count without one of us. But at least recognize that you need a Savior in your position in Christ. Need a Savior and you cannot save yourself. So come to this king that was arrested and judged unfairly, went to the cross and died unfairly so that whoever believes in him can live eternal, eternally with him and not being judged eternally. Come to Christ. Run to Christ. Surrender to his lordship and follow Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again for the reminder that this story continues next week. And some of us think that we know it because we know what happened. But there's so much to learn from your arrest. Next week, Peter's, Peter's denial. Your trials. Your crucifixion. Your resurrection. And we are looking forward to finish this book with the Great Commission. I pray that you encourage us. That today our lives may be encouraged, confronted, but also that you moved our hearts to obey it and to submit ourselves to your word. Because submitting ourselves to your word is the way you have established to submit ourselves to your will. Thank you, Lord. In your name.